Welcome back to the Future Skills Podcast. This week, my guest is Paul Mumford from Search Energy. Paul is responsible for a large workforce of smart metering engineers and has been involved in the energy industry for around 20 years. We're going to be getting Paul's take on the opportunities within smart metering that are still around and also the progression routes coming up in the future. Hi Paul, welcome to the Future Skills Podcast. Hi Dan. Thanks for joining us today, it's really appreciated. Um, wanted to get you on really to discuss the smart metering sector and also the progression that's happening within the smart metering sector. Obviously Search are, are quite involved there, Search Energy, and I think a good place to start here would just be Search's energy, Search Energy sorry, and um, how it all started for you getting involved in the energy sector. So yeah, that, that's quite a, quite a long history if I take it back there. 20, 21 years this year that I've been working at Search. So wow. way back, uh, way, way back, um, I joined Search, um, which are uh, historically and certainly at that point were a big recruitment business. And I joined yeah. um, to look after the industrial and construction arms of that business, both temp and permanent services. Um, as the years went on from there, you know, very quickly, um, the CEO of the company at that time was a great believer that to move up the value chain with clients, you had to perhaps offer a, a differential service that, that wasn't out there in the marketplace with your traditional agency suppliers. So we we moved my sector, the sort of um, which was predominantly focused on in, uh, energy and utilities at that point. I'd, I'd focused in on that within industrial. We we looked to move that to an outsourcing arrangement with our clients, as opposed um, to. Um, the traditional kind of agency transaction. So that's where we as a, as a business act more like a subcontractor, certainly more towards a subcontractor than we do a traditional agency. We take a lot more responsibility for um, the engineers in, in, in the workforce or, the, or way back as then it was meter reading before before the world of smart really took off. So that, that was kind of how the division as it is now came about. It was born out of an industrial provision of temp meter readers and obviously smart metering was going to cause that business to come to an end so it was a natural progression for us to get involved in smart metering probably seven or eight years ago and we've been growing in that ever since and you've got lots of smart metering engineers haven't you at search energy how many have you got at the moment ballpark figure how many is that do you know the exact numbers yeah headcount's just gone over 300 um and it's the highest. In fact, I think last week was our highest headcount we've had since the beginning of the smart rollout. Um, obviously, we would have expected that to have perhaps happened last year, um, but um, you know we all know what happened last year, which which threw a spanner in the works. So yeah, I think we're just a, a year behind where we we thought we'd be, but so is everybody else in the marketplace. Yeah, and it's certainly coming back now with a vengeance, isn't it? It's like seems to be that all that time that's been missed, everyone's trying to pack it all in now as quickly as possible for the start of the rest of this year into next year to get those numbers back up. Absolutely. There's been a skill shortage in this sector since the day it started, really. Um, as soon as it got any pace behind it, there, there was not enough engineers in the marketplace. And we were probably one of the earlier adopters of the training people from, from a, a, you know, no background in the industry at all to be dual fuel qualified fitters. And we started that journey back in 2016 was our first one. Um, so you know, nearly five years of of completing this this type of training course, um, 
and probably two thirds of our workforce ultimately came to us via that route over, you know, over that period of time. And there's certainly been a big volume of people, you know, not all, not all have stayed with the business, but a good number have, um, and, and, and see the value in the, in the decision they took back then to join. Um, it certainly has created some excellent career opportunities for people that were perhaps um, not clear on the direction they wanted to take or thought they didn't really have, you know, great opportunities ahead of them. Um, so I think, yeah, it's been, it's been eye-opening for those people. And, you know, I still hear stories from early adopters, people that came on early doors with us that, um, you know, doing very well for themselves. Incredible, really, that two-thirds of the workforce new entrants you know perhaps they were a butcher before or you know worked in a supermarket something like that we've seen an influx recently of apprentices starting and I, and I go to see them on day one and, and you see lots of different people who are not really experienced some people have never touched a tool before um but they learn so much don't they, through the journey and you know week sort of 18 19 they've got these these unbelievable skills really that I think on day one they can't believe they're going to get yeah I think we we um, we try to paint the opportunities as, as um, part of the assessment centre when we interview and, and look to make decisions on who we're going to hire into the business. Um, that, that, that assessment centre um, has changed over the years and particularly over the last 18 months with COVID, it's been a slightly adapted version of it. But essentially, a th- at least um, a third of that is, is selling what the opportunity is um, yeah. you know, rather than us identifying the right people, which is, is obviously the other two thirds of it. Um, but, but, but at least a third of it is, is really making sure they understand what this opportunity is and what it could do for them. You know, the reality is when, once you've done that first year and you've, you've invested your time and your efforts into that learning over the first year, you know, you, you, your salary is going to jump by roughly 12,000 pounds. And, you know, that's, that's massive. That's a mortgage. It's a, you know, a very fancy car, holidays, whatever everybody's personal preferences are to do with that money. But yeah. it, 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 you know, sounds a bit twee to say so, but it, but it is life changing money, and it's been described back to me by people who've come along the journey as that, as such. You know, for example, you know, people that um, tell me they've been able to buy a house probably eight or ten years earlier than they expected they'd ever be able to do that. Um, really. People got married and, you know, on the back of it, being able to afford to do those kind of things. So, yeah, it is life-changing. Yeah, no, completely agree. And I think as much as with the new entrant route, obviously there's lots of them to learn initially. There's also a further progression, isn't there? It's not just you become a dual-fuel smart meter installer. There's other things that they can go into. I think you've got a couple of examples where people have gone through different routes with you, haven't you? Yeah, there's, there's a, you know, a few people I can think of within the workforce that um, joined in the earlier days that have progressed through the ranks to become team coaches. Um, there's people who uh, more recently have been upskilled to um, the commercial sides or, or the, the like the three phase, for example, on the electric side and medium pressure gas on the gas side. So, you know, all the things we described at the beginning of this journey are, are coming to fruition for, for, for the people that came on board with us. I know some of it has been slightly delayed, unfortunately, by hiccups in the industry and, and outside factors such as COVID. But, you know, that is now starting, you know, has started and will continue to come to fruition for people who want to take that path. And 
let's be clear, not everybody wants to take that path. Some people are quite happy being an engineer and, and that's yeah. great as well. We need plenty of people who are happy to be an engineer. But yeah, there is opportunities. What would your advice be to somebody? Because there are opportunities at the moment for new entrants, you know, across the countries, uh, sorry, across the country. What would your advice be to a new entrant, male, female, who's looking, you know, for some a change, a new role? What would you advise them if they're interested in getting into smart metering? I think, you know, if I were them, I'd seriously consider it. Um, the, but, the, you know, they need to go into it with eyes wide open. The first year is hard. There's a lot to learn. And there's a lot of effort required from you, you know, over and above, because partway through that year, you go out into the field, fitting jobs on your own. That's where the, the scheme is designed. So you, you're kind of doing your day job, but there's still little bits of work you need to do to get to the end of your qualification and, and your apprenticeship uh, grading. So I think people need to enter it with eyes wide open that this, this is hard work for the first year, but you almost need to cross the calendar months down to the point you go into year two where, you know, you'll get that pay rise accordingly and 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 that's what you're working for in the first year as a means to an end to what it brings to you going forward. So I'd certainly uh, tell people that they shouldn't be apprehensive about having never worked in gas or electricity before and be worried about, you know, can they do it? Because the training is thorough and well-designed to be able to take people from all sorts of backgrounds Um Clearly, through the um, assessment process, we, we try and identify people we think have got higher degrees of, uh, of, of chances of being successful in it and, and, and equally try and identify people who we think are going to struggle because we know what has worked before, what hasn't, and where people encounter problems and, and you know challenges that are really not overcomeable. So we, we, we'd be fair, and we, in our assessment process, we try to, to identify people that, that you know w- would struggle with it, but... but People need to be open-minded, open-minded and understand there's a lot of work involved. But it's if those two things that, that they understand and they're happy with, then it is a great career opportunity. Well, I'm a firm believer in hard work pays off. And, and like you said, the first year, you know, it's challenging. There's, there's lots of information to take on board. Uh, it's all doable, but it is a challenge. And if you're 100% committed, it's, um, you know, it's a great opportunity. And I think just to reiterate as well with the opportunity, you know, you get, your tools, your uniform, your van, your gas qualifications, your electric qualifications, a sustainable role with progression opportunities that's in an industry that really, you know, we thought a few years ago would have been where it needed to be with the smart rollout. But actually you look at it and think there's a good three, four, maybe five years left in smart metering at least, plus there's transferable skills into other sectors. Yeah, I think that leads on quite nicely, I guess, to another area to discuss. Yes, whilst we're going to be fitting smart meters much longer than any of us. Well, I I was going to say much longer than any of us anticipated. That's probably not quite right. I think from early days, everybody anticipated this was going to be going still quite heavily. Now, whether we anticipated it, it'd be 25, 26, whatever it actually kind of starts to get to a conclusion. I don't know, but it certainly wasn't ever going to be done by 2020 from, from, from early days, but you're right. There's quite a few years left in this and, you know, certainly search, and, and, and I can probably speak for all the businesses that are involved in smart metering that have built a workforce are not going to be building a workforce to see it suddenly, you know, to want to see it just disappear. They're going to want to reskill operatives to whatever the opportunities are that, that come about over the next three or four years. You know, EV is probably one of them. It's an, it's an obvious one that people might link um, yeah. because yeah. there is some transferable skills. I mean, there's still some challenges to overcome with the um, 
the governing bodies uh, regards to that. But as the pressure gets on that industry to start installing more points and they, you know, start to see the same skill shortages that Smart saw, which invariably will happen, then I think the governing bodies will become more open-minded about creating a route for what is probably a, a 90% good match of a, of, of a person required to do an EV job. Um, you know, create that route for that smart engineer to transfer because 90% of the, the, the skills they need, they've got. It's just that, you know, final bit. So I'm certain that route will open itself up in, in, a, in a bigger way in the, in the years to come. And hopefully the timing of, of the EV industry growing and starting to accelerate will match. As, you know, it looks like it might right now to me. Um, so again, as I say, it seems a logical pathway. I think there's all sorts of other stuff going to start coming around in the next few years. Um, maybe some of the stuff to do with um, uh, boilers, the boiler replacement schemes under the um, air source heat pumps and things like yeah. that. So I think yeah. there could be opportunities around that sector. And I think there's probably opportunities that we don't even know about yet that are ultimately what will happen on the back of the smart rollout because the smart rollout is only to gather the data on what people's usage is and then the pressures and demands on, on the networks. Ultimately, the next stage really has got to be to help consumers change their behaviours to become more efficient and actually to level out the usage on the grid. So the smart meters themselves don't fix that problem there's, there's energy efficiency measures needed and, and behaviours on the back of that that need to happen to, to actually change things. So I, I do foresee a, a role for the smart meter engineers potentially in the future doing something connected to that as well. Um, and I'm sure, because I've not got a crystal ball, there'll be things that we haven't even contemplated yet that, they're, that the, the, the transferable skills will, will adopt to very simply. So... But yeah, I can certainly say that Search Energy are not building a workforce now just for the sake of four or five years. We intend that workforce to be reskilled and retrained and adapted to whatever we need to for the future. Brilliant. I think when you look at you know the government, um, anything the part at the moment on social media, there's a big hashtag there at net zero, working towards net zero with everything that they do. And I think the future skills of any workforce is going to be a huge focus on, on uh, this net zero target of the government. So... I expect lots of incentives around that and potentially new apprenticeship programs to support that as well. Um, it's interesting with the EV. We had somebody on the podcast last week, Mike Gadd from Yes Electrical. And for me, I look at smart metering and it's maybe it's difficult to put a percentage on it, but I would say we're probably about 75%, 80% into the journey um, in terms of people being offered and installed a smart meter. And he said that with EV, we're about 3% into that journey. So if you think of that, you know, we're only just dipping our toe into the water with EV, really, and there's lots to come. Yes, I agree. I agree. I think, um, it, 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 to me, the EV industry sits at the moment as the proverbial chicken and egg in that yeah. the industry wants almost more cars out there to justify really ramping up the charge points, but the consumer wants lots more charge points out there to have the confidence to go and buy an EV car. You know, and there's all sorts of debates and discussion about, you know, who's right, which side of the argument's right, which should go first. But ultimately, it's that kind of logjam that once that shifts and, and there gets a real pace behind it, uh, I was speaking to someone else well-connected within energy and utilities who, who reckons all it needs now um, is one mass market model that's, that's affordable to 
a big enough proportion of people. And I'm not talking a £50,000 car because that's just out the reach for most people. Um, I'm talking, you know, when you get these EVs back into the early 20s and under 20s, so they're comparable to reasonable family cars now, that, that creates the iPhone moment, the moment that, boom, it just goes. So, you know, that's got to be coming. I see more models hitting the market. Still price point a little high for me comparatively. I think, yeah. you know, it's yeah. it's not going to float everybody's boat quite yet, especially with range apprehension, charging network, charging availability apprehension. But, but it, we're getting closer. We're edging closer all the time. I mean, we've just hired a, a business development person specifically to focus on EV, knowing that, you know, it might not be right now that we, we, we get a piece of business, but we are targeting that industry as a, as a real big growth opportunity for us over the coming couple of years. That's no, great. And like you said, there's going to be a, a moment with EV where it just really starts to come down the hill because the train's on the track and it's, you know, it's happening. It's just that, that pinch point of, right, you know, now we need to do something and it needs to scale up quickly. Um, so I don't think it's too far away. Maybe, maybe another 12, 18 months and yeah. it could be sooner than that, of course, but, yeah, I think it's coming. In terms of uh, opportunities at the moment with search, Paul, for anybody listening, is there is there any areas where you're looking for for new entrants or for smart engineers at the moment in the country? We're we're, we're just um, finishing off the the, the last couple of uh, training courses we've got right now. Uh, we think we've still got some vacancies around the uh, Yorkshire and Northeast area, um, but I fully anticipate that over the coming months we'll probably get some more opportunities down south. Um, uh, so yeah, I think what I would say is just get in touch, get in touch, register interest. If there isn't anything right now, we'll tell you, but we'll also keep your details for when anything does come about. Um, and then we can get back in touch at that appropriate time. Brilliant. It's been great to have you on Paul. And um, something I've just written down here and sort of last question from me, you know, I wanted to get you on to sort of, you know, for the listeners really to, to learn a little bit more about search and search energy, the, the apprentices that have gone through you guys and, your involvement with the energy sector. But a question for you, I just wrote it down when we first started talking, 21 years you said you've been involved at Search, long yes. time. What would you say is your most proudest moment in those 21 years? Um, I think the proudest moment was the first bunch of the apprenticeships that we ran for Smart getting their certificates. So, because... When we first sat down and talked about this route to create engineers, it was all really great theory on a piece of paper. And it yeah. looked great. We all agreed, you know, you guys at the training center, ourselves, you know, my financial people, all made sense. Everything made sense, but it was on a piece of paper. We then recruited the first bunch, looked like a good bunch of candidates who were really committed. We put them into a training course that ran. They went out in the field. They started doing jobs really well. I think when they got the certificates at the end of that first year, that to me was the proudest moment, looking how they'd come on board, developed, and how that model had well established itself by that point, because you've got to remember that they were the first group. There would have been probably four or five more cohorts behind them running by the time that first cohort got to the end of their first 12, 13 months and got the certificates. So I think that was a really proud moment that the first bunch had got there, done the journey, we saw what that had done for their lives. They just got the pay rise and we knew that we had uh, a production line of four or five more cohorts following quite close behind them. So you're suddenly looking at 
having given a great opportunity to 60, 70 people, you know, in a 12 month period um, who, who were going to have fantastic careers ahead of them. So that was probably my proudest moment. It was really, uh, for once, um, it was an opportunity that I thought all sides uh, benefited from. But actually, the, the, the candidate, the, hire, the person we hired, the employee, probably was the biggest winner. Don't get me wrong, this worked very well for search, it's worked very well for our clients, it's worked very well for USG. But yeah. the biggest winner out of all of it has been the people who've got the jobs. Yeah. And that's yeah. not always the case when you're doing large-scale um, projects. I agree with you completely. I think, you know, from my point of view, I went through the journey a while ago now, but 100%, 110%, it changed my life. I was um, working in the call centre at British Gas and I went for a service and repair apprenticeship actually and got knocked back. And then I thought, I'll go for it again when it comes up. And it just so happened that a smart metering apprenticeship came up, applied for it, really nervous in the interview, but I just remember just telling them how much I wanted the opportunity. And... Um, I wasn't very good with tools, wasn't hands-on with things. And I, I was one of the learners who, you know, struggled a little bit going through. But when I look at, I trained in, in Hamilton actually for six months in Glasgow. And when I look at that, completely took me out of my comfort zone for six months, learned new skills, met new friends. I was doing my mentoring in London, which was like the first time I'd been down there. I just learned so much about life and the job was just fantastic. I loved being sort of my own boss and looking after the jobs and the customers. It really is a life-changing life opportunity. And it's so great that working with yourselves, that there's so many more opportunities out there and, you know, we can change those lives going forward. Yeah, I agree. I agree. We've not finished yet. No, we haven't. Definitely not. Well, Paul, really appreciate you being on. It's been great. Um, I've just seen the breaking news that you're not going to be signing Harry Kane, so sorry about that. But... Um, I still think you're going to have a good season at City on, on a footballing part but thanks again and um, yeah that's been the Future Skills podcast Excellent Thanks Dan Big thanks to Paul for joining the Future Skills podcast this week don't forget to subscribe to the podcast and we'll see you in the next one <laughs>